Wait, hold on, I'm not ready. I realized what I... Good evening and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter. This one feels like it's been coming from a long, for a long, long time from a very far galaxy away. Um, we'll try and butcher that metaphor a little bit less as the episode goes on um, in, in an attempt to one-up uh, Phil and Andrew's previous literary uh, references. Um, I'm, I'm a bit more modern and less, less book-inclined, so we're going down with the full avenue. But we've got a lot to cover this week. It's a very exciting week. We are officially five days away, recording on Monday, with the Kick Rugby World Cup kicking off this weekend. Um, I don't think it, this is, there's been a more eagerly anticipated tournament, um, despite every media outlet saying that, but I think amongst myself personally, that's been the case. And I think just the, all the intrigue, drama, excitement, stupid pools, players being banned, late injury, 7-1 splits causing controversy, ex-Scottish uh, uh, coaches saying that the Springboks are trying to ruin the game again. It's just been, you know, a lot of drama, and I'm just excited for the kickoff to finally get here and us to have actual World Cup stuff to talk about instead of just speculating. Um, Andrew, are you looking forward to this weekend? Cannot wait. Uh, it's just you wait as a rugby fan every four years for this to roll around, and we're finally here. Uh, actually, I'm just so excited. Like, kid in a candy shop doesn't cover it. Paul, would you describe yourself as a candy shop-based kid? At World Cup time, totally. Every game brings a new sweet, and I'm ready to taste it all. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to Springboks, uh, you know, embracing their dark side if necessary. So that is Star Wars reference. Or... <laughs> try, trying to have it in there, just fan. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I can't, can't wait. Um, Friday opening game, France New Zealand should be. You know, a brilliant start, and then it just carries on. Yeah, no, we're in, in for a, a wild first weekend um, of some really big matches. France, New Zealand, obviously deciding their pool. South Africa, Scotland, putting a huge amount of pressure down the line. Argentina, England is massive. Um, and I think it's Wales, Fiji as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so at least we have one one straightforward result that we can you know lean on there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. I did say that there's been a lot of speculation um, happening over the last couple of months, and we are going to add one more dose on that tonight. Um, we're going to give our official preview of each team, their pools, the likely uh, outcomes, what we think is going to happen, as well as you know what defines success for each team. Um, I've had a couple of mates that have come up to me uh, you know, that are doing office draws and whatever, and being like, so... Are Samoa going to win? And you kind of have to temper their expectations that probably not. But, you know, you can set a, set a, a reasonable goal for them to achieve um, based on, on recent history. So we've got lots to cover. So we're going to kick off very, very swiftly. Um, Andrew has done extensive research prepared for this for, I think, the last three months, you were saying. Um, so we're expecting a really good rundown of Pool A. Andrew, please take us away. Except that that's Phil's pool. So. <laughs> and, and you're doing a marvelous job so far um, <laughs> so I, i'll swiftly step in there and uh talk about group a for a bit so 
Ant also called this the boring pool earlier. Um, I think it's fair just because there's three like major gaps in between the teams. So we have France and New Zealand, possibly two of the three or four favorites. Then we have Italy somewhere in the middle and then Uruguay and Namibia are possibly two of the three or four like lowest ranked teams or teams with the lowest expectations. So what it does do is it creates two really, really um, exciting and eagerly anticipated matches in the opening match, which is France-New Zealand, but then also Uruguay-Namibia, because that will become a match where both teams are desperate to get a victory. Um, Namibia famously... Would that be Namibia's first? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, they famously never won a match, so that is their best chance in this World Cup. They got denied a chance, obviously, in 2019 by Typhoon Hagabus, if you remember four years back, so... Also interesting is Italy didn't get a chance to play New Zealand in 2019 because of that same typhoon. Uh, they obviously got spats, uh, smashed by the Springboks, didn't get helped by their red cards to their props. So they have a point to prove too, I think, just because, you know, as a middling team, they'll hope, even though the chances are very low, to knock someone away. Um, but yeah, looking more closely at each of the teams. So France, as the hosts, have a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of expectation um more than just getting out of the group of course they are one of the favorites to win so uh anything other than making it to i would say at least the final would be a failure but even if they make it to the final and lose it would be heartbreaking for them so you know they it, as the host and with you know the form that they're going into that unfortunately for them it's pretty much win or bust, I think. And that might sound harsh, but with their team, they can do it. I think their key player has to be Antoine Dupont. Some say he's the best player in the world at the moment. But everything runs through him, especially without Intermark. There's a lot of pressure on him to control things, whether he has Jolly Bear next to him um, or if they decide to shock us and choose someone else, uh, like Halstoy. But uh, yeah, I would put Dupont as the key man. But their forward pack also... Uh, so much pressure then on them to make sure that they can control against almost everyone. I think against South Africa, they'd probably be happy with just parity. But um, yeah, what do you guys think? Any other key players for France? I mean, I think their key players are all the injured ones, which is the problem. You know, between Intermac, Dante, Willemsen, and Bar being out, like that's four of their top six players, I'd say. Um, and as you're mentioning, like their reliance on Dalt. It's four of their biggest go-forward generations. And, you know, if you think about who's replacing them, you know, the guy that's going to replace uh, Dante is, is me after. Uh, oh, his name now. Um, I've got three or four centers that all got similar names. Anyway, he's a big step down in terms of legality. You know, the guy that's going to replace uh, Willemser is either Cameron Wocky or like Thibaut Flament, who's famously an ex-fly-off. And Waukee can basically cover wing. Both very yeah. different physical players. So, you know, they might have really lost some of their key players, I think. And obviously, the Intermac being, you know, DuPont's foil. Um, you know, I think beyond yeah. those four, it's only really DuPont left. Who's the key guy? Sure. Yeah, and it feels like with France, there's been a hell of a lot of pressure, obviously, because they're the hosts. And they've got this generational team that we talking about with all these youngsters coming up, the likes of DuPont, Intermac. And they seem to have just gone off the boil at exactly the wrong time. Like they're they're pulling an island. They've peaked in between World Cups. 
been absolute like number one on the world rankings, just absolutely owning. Uh, and and now we've seen that they're fallible and they're actually falling off the pace in the warm up games. So we'll we'll see. That's true. I mean, lost lost to Scotland, very close victory over Scotland, and really not a convincing win over. I mean, you know, given a strong Fiji team, but you know, that's yeah, not convincing. Yeah. yeah. So even the, I mean, the pressure will still be on. I think guys like. Uh, um, Marchant and um, some of the other forwards, uh, you know, I think Gregory Aldrich is also, you know, always spoken as one of the best eight men in the world. Uh, so these guys really have to step up given the other absences. I read somewhere that um, Dante has a, a decent chance. He's been training with the first team, so he could make mm. a, a, a recovery and that would be big for them. Um, and yeah, that first game with New Zealand is really the big one. Um, and then they've got chance to recover, chance to even play back into a bit more form. Like you guys were saying, they haven't been in the best of form. So uh, yeah, that's the big game. They've got to target the first game. And leading to New Zealand, they have their own injury worries, especially at the beginning of the tournament. They're without Brady Retallick. They're without uh, Shannon Frizzell, potentially Jordy Barrett, which was, uh, I think, brought up today. That would also be a big blow. I don't know whether Anton Leonard Brown or um, or David Havili would be next in line, but that's quite a big step down given Barrett's success at 12 since he's moved there. I think for New Zealand, um, obviously they're expecting to make it out of the group, but if they go out in a quarterfinal, that's a failure for them. They are in a weird position of not being as much of a favorite as they normally would be, but for a country like New Zealand, you're never going to go in not thinking you can win, so... Again, uh, quarterfinal would be a failure. If they made a final and lost, maybe not as bad as it would be for France, but they're still hopeful to win. Um, for me, I would choose a key player, probably um, Adi Sevilla in the forwards. He just bring, gives them so much energy. He doesn't quite have the bulk, which uh, you know some other big eighth men have, but he makes up for that in just his you know work rate and energy. And then I guess Moanga as a 10, like he controls so much with Aaron Smith just getting him quick ball. It's if they're gonna do well, he really has to be on top of his game. Uh yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, it's it's tempting to put try scoring machine Will Jordan in there. I mean, you can't just break open any international team. But New Zealand that that loss to the Springboks has certainly dented their confidence. And I think for them getting over that psychological barrier before their biggest game of the pool stages is going to be difficult. So that's really the challenge for them, I think, is overcoming that embarrassing loss, a record, you know, world record loss uh, to then take on the hosts at what's going to be a very vibrant, I suppose it's in Paris, right? It's Stade Francais. So uh, it's going to be a huge, huge game. I mean, how much do you think, though, <laughs> their key players maybe more Frizzell than it is a severe? Um because you know, obviously yeah. Frizzell was famously playing incredibly well in the rugby championship when they were dominating. You know, it wasn't playing against us, and suddenly they lost all their momentum, stopping their uh, go forward ball. Do you think he's maybe key to their long term fortunes? Obviously, he won't be playing this weekend, but uh, yeah. you know, them going deep might rely on him more than say Mwanga, where you've got a DMAC or a Bowden that can stop him there. I think that's a fair point, especially against the other top teams like Ireland, South Africa, who can potentially dominate them 
in terms of that sort of physicality. So Frizzell is someone who can at least try and mitigate that a bit. And like you say, when South Africa lost to New Zealand, Frizzell was really on top of his game. That was like the best game we've seen him play, especially against the Springboks. So they definitely lose out. Um, I don't even know who they're going to start, if they're going to play Jacobson or try to play Tupavai or someone on the side of the scrum. Uh, Papali is an option, but that's, you know, a bit more open-sided. Yeah. yeah, so it's a tough one for them. So, uh, again, I think they're... Who, who, I think I can... If I'm giving a prediction, which I guess I can move on to, um, seeing that I've gone through the two top teams, I think that France will beat New Zealand in the opening game, and then... New Zealand will come second, but then New Zealand have a really good opportunity to build and build momentum into the quarterfinals. Uh, so Italy, the next team, um, they are in a tough position. As I said, they are clearly superior to Uruguay and Namibia in this group. And we've been talking a lot about them over the last year or two in terms of some more enterprising Six Nations performances. So it's a really tough um, group to be in just because they were two of the favorites. Otherwise, you know, they would be hoping to sneak into the quarterfinals, which they've never done in their history. Um, they they have some good results against France in recent history, like push them pretty close, even these strong French teams. So I think I can see them... And that's the very last game of this group stage. So that actually is one to watch. I think that France-Italy one, um, especially if Italy, you know, they'll leave it all on the line. It's the, that, that they've, it's uh, that will go home. So I think they, they, they'll be up for that and they might push France closer than a lot might think, but I think they'll still end up short. Um, I think for them, key players, uh, Captain Michel Lamoureux is, you know, he's a workhorse and he's really great. Uh, when he's on the field, he, he doesn't always play a full game. And I think Paolo Garbisi is just the most obvious, uh, exciting player in the back line. But obviously, guys like Capuazzo and Monti are also excitement machines and expect them to get in on, on the tries. Yeah, I, I don't see Italy beating New Zealand. I just don't see it happening. But maybe they can run France close. So if, if France do lose that first game, that puts a lot of pressure on that Italy game. Even though... It's a game they'll be expected to win. There'll be yeah. a lot of pressure from a home crowd, and, and that can undo some teams mentally. So that will be a really important result, that first game up. Um, Italy, I, I think, you know, for those of you who are looking for fancy tips, I'm I'm probably going to take Montiwane and Kapuotso in the smaller games because I think they will dominate those other two teams. Um, I think Italy do play a a vibrant, expansive game of rugby, especially against smaller teams. So I think we should see some fireworks from them in this World Cup, but those it, it should be a pretty clear top two. Yeah, agreed. And uh, in case you need another fancy tip, don't forget about uh, Federico Ruzza as a lock. He's always exciting. Uh, so yeah, moving on to Uruguay, I think a uh, special shout out to Dick. I think their key player is uh, Santiago Arata, is scrum half. He he plays for uh, Cast in France, uh, one of their top teams. He's played Champions Cup rugby. He's you know one of the top scrum halves in the league, so and has a, a quite a, a strong reputation now, especially in France. So with that experience, he'll um, hopefully be able to share that. They they obviously got a really big win over Fiji in the last World Cup, so that was like their 
I think their greatest moment so far. So I can't see them doing something better than that. The equivalent in this would be beating Italy and maybe that would be better. And, you know, the, what stranger things have happened. If Italy take them too lightly, I think Uruguay have a great chance of um, pulling one over on them. Um, but Uruguay definite favorites in that Namibia game. So unfortunately for Namibia, if I can just put these two together, it's going to be tough for them. Um, they're, they're the weakest side in the pool. They will focus on that Uruguay match. It's their best chance. They've still got Johan Dezel, who famously scored a try against the All Blacks. Uh, I think it was eight years ago now. Um, and he's still there. They've got a couple of Lions players, uh, at least one current Lions player in Tian Swanepoel, who also has a massive boot, and that will be able to help them. Um, especially if it's a tight game against Uruguay. And Divan Rousseau, who has some experience with the Bulls as well, and at least used to be at the Lions. I'm not sure if he's still contracted, but they're in thereabouts. Um, so they have some Super Rugby experience and URC experience. And if they can take that uh, into that game against Uruguay, if they can get a win, then it's a monumental success. If they come away with no points, then even we'll celebrate tries against New Zealand if they can do that again. And uh, Richard Hardwick. Yes, yeah. Keep an eye on Richard Hardwick, obviously. Australian international, former Australian international. Experience, I think, with the Force and the Rebels. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's he's actually a pretty good player. So he could definitely bring something something good to this Namibian team. Cool. I think that wraps up Pool A. Um, We're going to hold back on Pool B um, and we'll all share in that one. But pool C is over to Andrew. Okay, so... Uh, so, so just quickly, quickly for, before we finish there, watch, so your finishing order is France, New Zealand, Italy, Uruguay, Namibia. Uruguay, Namibia, yeah. And games, just to keep your eyes on, obviously France, New Zealand, uh, it, uh, Uruguay, Namibia in the middle, and then France, Italy at the end. I don't know about you, Ant, I, I disagree on that first result. Yeah, I think I think New Zealand are going to take it this weekend. Oof, that's huge. Friday night, bring it on. I mean, France, you know, lost the opening game in the last World Cup they hosted. Uh, not that that's the precedent, but I just, I think New Zealand will be wanting to come out stronger given the last result. And I think they've just got fewer injury concerns in key places at, at the moment. I think the Geordie Barrett injury does swing out of it, but I think, yeah, I just see New Zealand coming out a bit more, a bit stronger. That Dante injury is is more of an issue than a Geordie Barrett injury, I think. Yeah, and Valumsa. I think the Valumsa injury is huge. I think the Frizzell injury is also really big. So, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) It's an interesting interesting one. It's very interesting. Listen, the Geordie Barrett one does does bring it down a little bit because, I mean, you know, Pavili and Anton Lepan are both short of game time. Um, So... Uh, when was the last thing either one of them started? It was over a year ago. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough game. I, I still think New Zealand will take it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it will be, we'll see how France go. All right. So, over to the easy side of the draw. And we have mm. a few sides that have benefited from the very premature uh, decision on, on who will make up the pools. But it does lend itself in Pool C to a very interesting battle between very closely ranked teams. Um, so we'll run through them now and then I'll do the predictions at the end. Um, we'll start off with Wales, uh, just get them out of the way nice and early. 
they're currently ranked 10th <laughs> in the world. And um, their, their, their key player, uh, for me, it it feels it feels too easy to go to the fly half. But Dan, uh, Dan Bigger is in his last international tournament. He is going to retire after this World Cup. Um, but for me, the most influential player for them is going to be Louis Um We've seen how he can get his team out of the jam with some phenomenal uh, individual play. So I'm I'm saying that Louis Rizamet will have the most influence on, on Welsh fortunes at this World Cup, uh, which are not looking very fortunate. I think <laughs> Wales, Wales, their, their <clears throat> first goal has to be to get out of their group. Um, and this is something that they might struggle to do. They need to get to the quarterfinals and it's a Rugby World Cup. Anything can happen from there. But I think for them, getting out the group will be seen as a success. Um, Welsh rugby just in general is in is in disarray. Like the the club teams back in Wales are falling apart. <clears throat> They're hemorrhaging talent to overseas leagues. Uh, they don't have full training squads for the upcoming URC, so it's going to be even more of a, a nightmare for them than it was last year. Uh, but Wales rugby is all just trending in the completely wrong direction. So um, I I don't see them exiting the group. Although you know, given the, the Welsh history in in rugby. And their long-term pedigree. Uh, that's a very sad state of affairs. Don't know if you guys agree. It's, is, it, yeah. is it a sad state? <laughs> I'm not particularly sad. I mean, I, I I understand why you say they won't qualify from the group, given okay. their recent form, given their world ranking, even. Um, it would be strange to see. I think it's a really interesting group because of all the, the closeness of the teams. So. I, I I sort of agree with you, but I would still be shocked to see Wales not qualify. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it would be a failure for them. But I, I think that it is a genuine worry for them. But I, I mean, like, look, they've, they're playing in their pool. They've got Fiji, who they've lost to at World Cups before. Um, they've got Australia, who you know are just a better team, and they've got Georgia, who they lost to last year at home. You know, so they genuinely have a really tough road of it. They've got three games in that pool where they really, I don't even know if I'd say I'd put. Um, yeah, that is th- some really tough games. Um, but at the same time, they're so close that I think, you know, <laughs> I would say it's almost a coin flip whether they qualify or not. Yeah, we seem to have lost Anne for a second there. I'm not sure if he's a. Uh... Back with us, and I'm back. You were saying they've got three games that they they absolutely have to win, or they have to be competitive in at least. No, okay, we'll come back to Ant. Um, we we, anyway, we don't want to spend too much time on Wales. That would be a waste of breath. Um, so (laughs) waste of dragon breath. So uh, further further on from them, we have Australia. So they are only one above Wales on the world rankings at the moment, going into the tournament in ninth. As we all know, well-publicized, a very tumultuous journey coming into the World Cup under new coach Eddie Jones after Dave Rennie was fired uh, with very little notice. Um, and Eddie's gone a little bit off the rails. A lot of really uh, questionable squad selections going into this World Cup, but the die have been cast, and uh, their key player for me 
not necessarily in terms of their best player, but the player I think around whom their fortunes are going to revolve is Carter Gordon. So with no Quade Cooper in the squad and only Ben Donaldson backing uh, him up at fly half with no international experience, essentially, Carter Gordon's got to sink or swim. Uh, so Australia's fortunes are going to be very much up to him. I mean, they do have you know, the 14 men on the field, but he will be very influential in whether Australia do manage to overperform or outperform expectations. Because at the moment, let's be frank, they are being favoured to get out of their group, but past that, uh, the they're, they're not really uh, looking to be the strongest side of the World Cup. But that being said, given that they are on a weak side of the draw, there's an opportunity for them. And Carter Gordon can make himself an absolute legend if Australia get to the semi-finals or finals uh, with some good performances. So we'll see. They've also got uh, a very green captain, Will Skelton, uh, who's captain one game for Australia now and almost no domestic captaincy experience. Um, similarly, you know, Wales, we just talked about of Dewey or Dowie Lake and Jack Morgan, who and arguably are more influential players for their team than Skelton, I would say. Uh, although Australians like to talk up Skelton a lot. I think Australia, really their objective in full, full stages is not to lose to Wales or Fiji. So they need to really, with their pedigree being past World Cup winners and with a strong rugby history, be aiming to top their group and from there get through quarters and potentially semis. Uh, and they, they could reach the finals. I think it would be an outperformance for their squad as it is, but they have an opportunity through their current draw. So they definitely need to get to the quarters. If they lose in the quarters, uh, there will be a sort of, I think, muffled disgruntlement from from Australian fans, but they need to at least get to the quarterfinals, I feel. Your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I think they should make the quarters. Um, I think they're at, le- they're at less of a risk of losing to Georgia um, and Wales than Fiji is than than Wales is losing to Fiji or, or to Georgia. Um, and and once they make the quarters, you know they've got a reasonable shout of then progressing because they don't have to beat Samoa, England, or Argentina potentially. Um, but I don't see them getting past the semis. There's no way is any team on that side of the pool, that side of the draw, COD or getting past the semis. <laughs> I um, yeah, I think their game against Georgia that is this weekend will be Eddie Jones's first win if they manage to win it. <laughs> First time in in seven games. How, how much how much pressure are you putting on that? Yes, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. But um, <laughs> I to be honest, I think you guys and I say, but you guys, because I both of you to some degree are pushing Australia above Wales. And if you look at this Australian team, there's a part of me which thinks they're a little bit weaker. Maybe not so much in player for player, but just like. Andrew was saying some of the tumultuous uh, things that they've gone through, having Skelton as a captain, having a, a fly half like Carter Gordon. If you compare that to Dan Bigger, you don't have guys like George North, Philatel, Halfpenny, that sort of experience to call upon. I yeah. know we hate on Wales. You mean, uh, all, all, you mean all those players that lost to Georgia, so lost to Georgia at home, you mean last year and lost Italy? You mean all, yes, all of those yeah. players? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Not the players well, that I mean, went to Dunedin <laughs> and were two points from beating the All Blacks. And that is the <laughs> flip, flip, flip side of the coin. But I, I, I do think that the Wales-Australia match is going to be incredibly close still. So I, like I said, Andrew, I think it's almost a flip uh, of a coin between Australia and Wales to me. They're both in disarray. They're both bad teams. 
Um, I would love to see Fiji qualify and someone else, but, you know, and Wales and Australia both go out, but they're both and Georgia and Fiji, let's pump it. <laughs> yeah, I would love it, but I think one of them will qualify, one of Wales and Australia. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's very fair. It's, it's probably between Wales and Australia for for that spot alongside Fiji, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, on, on to Fiji. So... They are really the talk of the town at the moment. They've put in some phenomenal performances in the lead-up to the World Cup. We're seeing uh, Fijian side really on the rise with a lot of top players from, from Europe, but also grown domestically through the, the new Super Rugby Pacific side, the Fijian Indrua, I think you pronounce it, or Indrua. Uh, they've got a number of really you know, game, game-breaking players, as they always have. But I think this Fiji side has really started to tie together um, some really structured you know, rugby, some really good defensive systems, some better set pieces, and that's allowed them to express themselves even better and get some really important wins. I mean, no, no more so than than over England, who they may end up playing in a in a quarterfinal. So I think their their most talked about player, potentially their most influential players, Semi Radradra. Uh, he seems an obvious pick to me. He is a world beater. I mean, he could play for pretty much any international side, I reckon. He is just a, a generational player for Fiji. They do have a number of other game breakers, and it's going to be interesting to see how they fit them all in because that back line is just stacked with names. Naya Salevu, Rabu Tamaura. I mean, all these guys who are really putting their hands up. Pabosi, despite his uh, domestic um, applications. Pasova, um, who didn't even play against England. <laughs> so... They really have a stacked squad, especially in the back line. And for me, their goal for this World Cup is going to be to back up this Fijian flair that we all know they have. I mean, that's a given uh, with doing the basics well. So I don't by that, I don't mean like don't throw the ball around. That's where they're at their best. But like winning the set pieces, winning your or defending your rucks, getting your defensive structures right and not letting the other team through, that's what's going to allow them to go deep in this competition. And they've got a really good opportunity on this side of the draw and with a really strong side performing well. So I think their first objective is to try and top the pool. It's a difficult ask. I mean, they should, on current form, beat all of Wales, Georgia and Australia. But that remains to be seen whether they'll pull that off. I think they will. So I'm... Well, at least them. they've got the wins behind them going into the World Cup. Yeah. It's coming in with a winning record. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm backing them to top the pool just based on current form and based on what I'd like to see as a neutral uh, for this pool. So that would be amazing to have Fiji top their pool and then they can they have a very winnable uh, quarterfinal against probably one of England or Samoa uh, who, you know, they are eminently beatable for the side. So, yeah, I'd love to see them get to a semi-final. Well, they've beat, again, beaten both of them in the World exactly. Cup this World Cup, Samoa yeah. and England, so... So really, the, the expectation now is on them to reach a semi-final for the first time, which would be amazing. It was the second time. Didn't uh, Springboks play at BG4? In a quarter. We played in a quarter and yeah. so when they beat Wales in the pool. That's it. That's it. So yeah, you're seems- both- it seems like we're, we're, we are putting a lot of pressure on Fiji. Like you said, like potential semi-final, thinking they might top the group. I mean, that was like all of us saying we expect them to top the group. Um, it's scary, but, you know, they've earned it. They've earned this um, pressure. 
you know, sometimes they, you know, they say pressure is a privilege. So, yeah, they've got a great team. They, like you said, they're more well-rounded than we've ever seen them. So let's just back them and hope they do as well as possible. Yeah, I think the world wants to see Fiji do well. So here we are. We're going to back them, definitely as neutrals in this pool. And then the the two smaller teams, <clears throat> um, Georgia and Portugal. So, I mean, firstly, Portugal are they, they will be they will be also Rams this year. Um, they are you know the 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 flogging boys of this this pool. Unfortunately, they there usually is one, and it happens to be Portugal this year. They had a very dramatic journey to the World Cup with a clutch kick from their scrum off uh, Samuel Marquez. Who I mean I don't know anyone else from Portugal, so he's going to be my key player for that team. But they they're basically just trying not to embarrass themselves and to make a good performance in in one or more of their games. I don't think they can realistically expect to win. I mean it would be fantastic, but that just is unlikely to happen. But Georgia, on the other hand, being ranked eleventh in the world, that's one behind Wales and two behind Australia. Just to remind you, um, they are looking like they have an opportunity here. They've won a couple of games of World Cups, but never progressed from the pool stages. So uh, they would have to beat probably Wales and and one of Australia or Fiji to get through. And it's not outside the realms of possibility. Uh, Georgia are no longer a side you can really write off. Uh, they have a few exciting players who play across Europe in various divisions. Uh, and I think their electric outside back, David Nuniashvili, uh, is going to be very key for them. He, he really is a game breaker. He's unpredictable. He's a bit of a Cheslin Colby for, for Georgia. So watch out for him. Uh, Georgia will be looking for upset wins in the pool stages for sure. Your thoughts? No, I, mean, I don't. I don't think it's unreasonable to think Georgia might get a win over either Wales or Australia. Fiji. I think. But, I mean, look. I definitely agree with that. I want to see, and I think Fiji should stop the pool. But I think I don't. I think if there's ever if there's going to be a pool where the top team doesn't win all four games at this one. Um, yeah, and I think Portugal are unfortunately in that position where they'll celebrate just scoring tries in games, you know, being able to score at a World Cup yeah. or any of these players will be an achievement. Fair. That's it, yeah. All right, so to round up, we'll see my predictions. You can agree or disagree. Fiji to top, Australia second, Wales third, Georgia fourth, and Portugal fifth. Yeah, I'm happy to go with that. I agree, more or less. <laughs> I, I agree, and that's also what I want to see. Yeah. Like, it's, it's nice that your, your wish list is what you think is the reality as well, um, which may or may not be the case in Pool B, which is, which is where I'm going. I'm going to do this in a little bit. I'm not going to go down the order in which the teams were drawn because I don't think the order in which the teams were drawn has any bearing on reality currently. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to go from, I think, last to first. So unfortunately, I think last place is probably going to be Chile. Um, Squidge is doing his absolute best to pump them up. Um, and I think similarly to Portugal, you know, they have a very dramatic rise. I mean, considering, I think they said their best results in the, before the previous World Cup was like a 71-0 against the USA. Um, and to go from there to qualifying, beating USA and beating Canada to, to make the, um, the, the pools is great. Um, they've got, I think there's the key player will be, uh, Rodrigo Fernandez, who got, got world rugby try of the year last year. 
um, in that quagmire against the USA. So, you know, definitely an exciting player to watch. But I think they have the ability to vary the game between more of a tactical kicking style and a, a running style. So it'll be interesting to see which they deploy against which teams. Um, but I think, you know, similar to Portugal, unfortunately, there's just too much fire, firepower ahead of them. Um, they'll be looking for some some good tries and, and kind of making a name for themselves more than I think they're going to be looking to win anything. I think, you know, if they were in Pool A and they had a Uruguay or Namibia, you know, Portugal or Romania, they, they would be targeting more. And I think for this one, they're just going to be targeting um, some success. Um, I don't know if you guys have had any comments on, you know, the mighty Chileans. Um, but we'll skip on to the next one. And this is where it starts to get controversial because I'm going to put a, a Rugby World Cup finalist in the second last place in this uh, pool, which is Japan. Um, obviously, have had two really good World Cups in the last two, uh, obviously beating South Africa. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, <laughs> but then obviously beating Ireland and Scotland uh, in the 2019 edition, making the quarterfinals before getting put to the sword a bit by South Africa. Um, in in the quarterfinals there, but you know since then the Sunwolves have been kicked out of Super Rugby. Japan have won four out of nineteen games in the last four years. Um, they haven't won a game this year. I don't. I think they had a very close win over Samoa, um, but I just don't see this Japanese. They've got three or four red cards in a row. Um, I don't see this Japanese team going too deep. You know, I think a lot of the superstars that you had from the last World Cup aren't quite there anymore, aren't quite at the same level of form. Um, you know, so probably your star player is Kazuki Amino, looking you know to try and get some kind of forward dominance going. Um, you know, they will always have some exciting backs that you can throw a ball around with, but unfortunately, I don't think this is going to be Japan's tournament given given the other three teams in the pool. So you know, whenever Chile will be par, but anything about that, I would say is outperforming. So you look very upset with that. Are you, are you going to disagree? Or are you just upset that that's the reality? I think the latter. I'm upset that that's reality. I, under Jamie Joseph, especially the last World Cup, I enjoyed watching Japan so much. Um, other than the good South African wins, the wins against Ireland and Scotland were my favorite games of that tournament. So to see them coming in with the form, the sort of form and the uh, relative downgrade that has happened is just a bit sad. I think I agree with you. Fourth place, yeah. Cool. Moving into third place. Um, I might this disagree is... here. Sorry? I might disagree here. Carry on. I was just enjoying watching Phil's face as I go through this pool because he knows what's coming. But I, I predict England are going to get stuck in the pools for the th second tournament out of the last three. Um, I don't think it's controversial to say that England aren't going to beat Argentina. But yeah. based on England's run into this tournament... And looking at, you know, if, if their, their pranking skills are anything to go by, this is not a good England side. And they are objectively bad at everything. Their suits look bad. Their suits can't fit. Their captain's not even coming to the pre-match photos because he's too sore. Um, the other captain, you know, is busy trying to defend himself against allegations from a previous fly-offs book. Um, you know, he's getting grumpy about being asked why he keeps getting banned, which is a perfectly fair question. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like they just it does. There's absolutely nothing about this England team that that excites me or gives me any kind of confidence or hope. Um, 
I've maintained for a long time that I don't think they have a particularly strong pool of players and they've lost even, you know, even some of the better ones there and everyone that's left, it just looks like a very toxic environment. You've got players tweeting after they lost to Fiji, you know, backs against the wall stuff, but basically calling out their fans for doubting them, which again, I think is perfectly fair. Like if you've just lost at home to Fiji um, for the first time ever. So I don't, I don't see anything particularly positive in that England environment. Um, and if you compare that to Samoa, who look a lot more structured and organized and pushed a, you know, arguably should have beaten a pretty full choice strength Irish team a week ago. Um, I think Samoa with the right conditions should target the English game and, you know, should beat them. Um, and I mean, it would, it would be make me, me very sad if England were to qualify because I just don't think they've done anything to deserve it this, this last year. Wow, wow, wow. I think that's quite a hot take. I don't know. I'm, I hear everything you're saying and everything makes sense and you talk a very logical game, but I just can't in my brain get the fact right that England won't get out the pools against Samoa. It just, it feels like there's something wrong in the rugby universe when England can't get out of their pool. I totally understand if you said like they weren't, weren't going to win their quarterfinal and I totally understand your argument about Samoa coming out and, and Argentina beating them. I think that's pretty much a given now. And Borthwick has been a rank failure. And I can make all the logical arguments, but somehow it just doesn't doesn't like correlate in my head that, that England will not get out of this. That that's shocking. I mean it's it's indicative of where England rugby's at right now. But I just think there's enough talent in that team to scrape that game against Samoa. Uh I still think so, even with all the stuff going on. But I hear you. Uh, I can't really argue with you on logical terms. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting because they obviously play Argentina this weekend. And if Argentina beat them by 15 points, like, I don't see this resilience in this English team to pull in the wagons and turn that into a positive tournament. I see them spiraling out of control. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I hate it because like Andrew I think uh, you make very valid arguments so it's hard to have a strong disagreement against you but um, maybe it's the English and me which is going to disagree and perhaps we can put a side bet even on the England-Argentina match this weekend um, I think this is an incredibly weak version of the English team despite it really shouldn't be given that they have almost all the same players who made a final available if they wanted um, but things have obviously gone so wrong especially in the last couple of years uh, so it makes sense that they that they might struggle but uh, I think if they were almost in any other group they would do worse but like we've said Japan are probably going to finish below them and Samoa like Andrew said yeah they had a good you know uh, match against Ireland but I still don't see them being anywhere near Fiji's level um, perhaps that's harsh on them. And Tonga also have uh, struggled a bit. So I think Fiji are a bit above. So I think if they were in any other group, it would be a lot more difficult. But I, I think, I think they're even going to beat Argentina. But that might just be the you know the patriotic <laughs> side. But um, even if they don't beat Argentina, I think that they'll squeak out a quarterfinal place and then probably lose to Australia or Fiji. Beat, or <laughs> no, sure. I mean, I, I completely agree with, with the points that it feels wrong. Um, so I, in, in 
all honesty, I think it's it's probably quite close to 50-50 between England and Samoa. Um, but I don't think it's anything more than 58-42. I think that's probably as generous as I'll be to tip the favours one way or the other. Um, I completely disagree. I think Argentina are comfortably a better side than England. I mean, they beat England in England on the end of your tour last year. Um, I think you know, like, they've come, like come in with a... No, hundred percent. You know, they they came and they've beaten Australia at home. Like Argentina, love being on the road. Like they thrive on this. They're a World Cup animal. They've got a much better motivated coach. Um, so no, I, I don't. I don't see Argentina's result against England in doubt. Um, but I think yeah, the, the Samoa one. I, I you know I think it is close, and I think you know as much as I put forward logical arguments, I'm not going to deny that my heart wishes to see England uh, lose to Samoa and not go through. Um, that being said, uh, the, you know, I think this leads into the next point of Samoa being my second pick for the pool. I would absolutely love to see a Samoa-Fiji quarterfinal and seeing one of them make the semis. Um, that would just, I would be so happy about that. So you know, there's, there's some, some biases there that I'll acknowledge, but I think Samoa genuinely have a good shot. I think they can beat England. Um, I don't see them beating Argentina, but I think they can beat England. Um, Samoa have, have benefited from the World Rugby regulation changes. Um, and I think their key player, I would say, is probably the two flags that they brought in, Eliofano and Sokoanga. You know, with those two really quality, experienced flags kind of guiding um, the players around the park, I think they, they've got a good shot at coming second. Um, and you know, finally, I think Argentina, to me, quite clearly the strongest team in the pool. Um, I think they've had the strongest run of results over the last year or two. I mean, even this whole cycle, if you look at, you know, two wins over the All Blacks, like no other team in the pool has got that. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's quite clear that Argentina and the Czech are a different beast uh, to what they were going into the 2019 World Cup where they didn't make it out of the pool. So I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the thing Argentina will go through. They've got a couple of key players. I think Montoya obviously is... is you know, very key, Buffelli, you know, metronomic goal kicker and just great finisher. I think probably the player that, that's the most question marky is Carreras at 10. I think, you know, he's been obviously been backed since Checo's taken over, but he's never quite made that 10 jersey his own. Um, and I think if you can rattle him, maybe maybe Argentina are dented a bit. Um, so I'd say he's probably the, the biggest weak link in that, that Argentinian lineup. And the other... The other potential liability there is how many cards will Thomas Lavanini get? It's <laughs> it's not even a question of if it's how many. Like yeah, it's disciplinary yeah. liability. But but, yeah. but the thing is that's also that's just been baked into the pie by this point. You know, like <laughs> if they're not training at least yeah. half their sessions in a in a week with him not on the park, like then they're just being silly. You know, that's the point is they've achieved all of the success over the last couple of years despite Lovinini. And, you know, so, so it's yeah. not like he's going to cost him any more than he has in the last three years. I, I think they, they do have a tendency to blow hot and cold, though. Like, they get these amazing results beating the All Blacks, and then the next week they, you know, have been pumped by Australia. So I don't know if that if a World Cup is going to maybe help with that and have more continuity and maybe, you know, be a pro in that and help them against England and Argentina. But, yeah, it should be interesting. And... Uh, Sopoanga is one of my favorite players of all time. He's like my Highlanders boy, so I'm going to love watching all the snow <laughs> games, especially in France. Yeah. So, yeah, there we have it for, for the three not-book pools. Um, and we can finish off with 
the most exciting pool, not just because obviously South Africa are in it, um, and we are biased towards South Africa, um, and not just because Andrew's second team Scotland are also in it, um, but just because it's genuinely the most, I think, competitive pool. Well, maybe it's, it's the most competitive pool that's actually going to go somewhere. Pool C is obviously competitive, but none of them are going to make it past the semis. Um, I think Pool B is is the really interesting one. So I think we can we can quickly we'll we'll do this as a group. But I think we can quickly tick off the bottom two teams. I think we can all agree Romania unfortunately won't be making getting a win this year. Um, they might be targeting a win over Tonga, but I I don't see that as particularly likely. Um, what's your guys' feelings on Romania? No, I think you pretty much summed it up. They are much like Chile and. Maybe Namibia are looking to just make a good account of themselves. That's all. Yeah, I think I'm quite excited to see uh, some of some of their players just because they've got some fun names like Gabriel Pop and Jason Tamani and Tavita Manamua, very famously or traditionally sounding um, Romanian names. Um, but they, their captain Christy Kiraka has uh, also just got, got some fun names so if, if, if nothing else we'll get some entertainment from the commentators trying to pronounce some of these interesting names but no I don't I don't predict Romania getting too far um, so and I think that the team that's going to come fourth Tonga is, is probably quite uh, universally accepted there as well uh, not necessarily their own fault or failings um, I think it's just if you look at the other three teams it's, it's pretty hard to imagine kind of kind of anyone cracking the top three in that, that pool from any other pool it's probably only New Zealand and France that you would yeah. back to make that top three. So it's unfortunate for Tonga because uh, they do have a stronger squad than usual heading into this, also benefiting quite significantly from, from the World Rugby Chaining rules. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't see them getting more than a win over Romania and, and really even getting too close to the other three. I mean, they have some really, really strong individuals like, and that makes it potentially, you know, a banana skin for teams. But I agree with you. But like seeing guys like um, Vekatoa, Peter Aki, you know, top, top, top players. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Charles Pieter. Yeah. Andrew, are you going to say who's going to come third? Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty well accepted that the expected result is Scotland third. I don't, I don't see them beating the box or Ireland, but I don't see them losing to either of the other two. But I think they will be better than than normal. I think they they present a threat to both of those sides, the Springboks and Ireland, and they have a <clears throat> I think a generational team by Scotland standards. So we'll see how they go. I don't want them to beat the box, uh, obviously, and I don't think they'll beat Ireland. But with the likes of Finn Russell and Darcy Graham and Jonathan Merver, I mean, we've been over how like incredibly creative and spontaneous and fun to watch the Scotland side can be. Uh, they just don't have the match of the absolute top tier teams. Um, so I, I hope to see some really good rugby from them, but I don't, I don't think they'll get out of the pool. I don't think that's a realistic expectation. It would that's make me very happy if they beat Ireland. <laughs> and the, sch the schedule the schedule is pretty interesting, right? Because South Africa obviously plays Scotland this weekend, but then the final game in over a month's time is Ireland Scotland. So both teams have a long time to prepare for that game. So yeah, Scotland uh, you know, and you know, do your thing. South Africa win this weekend, and that puts a huge amount of pressure. That's going to be looming over both of them for the whole month. 
And we all know famously how well Ireland do under pressure, uh, not just at national level, but also at that club level. So maybe maybe that counts in our favour. The Scottish you know, famously have less to lose, um, less pressure on them. So maybe they're just going to go out there and, and give it a go. That's obviously on, on the preface that South Africa wins this weekend, which they should, but you know, it's by no means a given result, I think it's fair to say. But now we probably get to the most contentious uh, top two, which of the green machines is topping the pool? Paul, do you want to take a uh, stab? Yeah. I'm, I'll take a, a big stab and say the Springboks will beat Ireland, they'll beat Scotland, they'll finish the group top, and they'll go into the quarterfinal on a, on a high note. From there, I'm not making any predictions just yet, but uh, yeah, I think um, the South Africa-Ireland match will be monumental. Um, both teams will want to put down an early marker. Um, and I think while it could go either way, I'm just backing the Springboks to just drive this wave of momentum, which has already started, which I believe will, you know, carry on through the other pool games. And yeah, really feeling good about the Springboks at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, after a world record win of the All Blacks and absolutely pumping Wales, it's hard not to be. And uh, there's the Springboks this generation do have just such a good feel-good factor around them. Um, you know, the, the work that Super Sport's doing is to show all the backstories and the messaging and the emotional connection they have to the people. It's, it's really hard not to, or maybe not that hard not to love the Springboks, as the global <laughs> community has shown over the last week. It's probably quite easy. Um, but I think as a South African, you're just drawn to to the, the narrative that's around this team, uh, which is, you know, backed up by really, really good performances on the field. So, I mean, I'm with you there. I think South Africa, I'm... I'm not saying I think they will or should beat Ireland, but I think they. I'm backing them to beat Ireland. I'm, I'm optimistic, cautiously, that I think they can. <laughs> sure. Who would you say are the key players for South Africa? I mean, it's for me. I would say it's probably not someone like Lebok, despite being the only fly from the squad. You know, but Lola goes out to be ring followed in. I think for me, it's probably Marks. I think you lose Marks, you lose the bomb squad because it means Bongi starting and you're bringing in Dweba, and that's a big drop-off. Um, otherwise, I think any of the loose, the starting loose forwards, I think losing Sia, losing Peter Steff, and, and even Dwayne, there's a big gap between any of them and their replacements. I think those three just function so well as a unit and all were just a lot better than their, their replacements. Yeah, Do you I think, think that the swing also kind of... I think I agree with your picks. On. I agree with your picks, but I also think despite relatively decent backup options like Losing Itzabeth now would also be like really big blow. I think just the physicality and grunt that he provides, you know, while we could bring in someone like Jean Klein who hasn't shown any sort of weakness whenever he's played, I think Itzabeth is like a generational talent who we would actually lose a big, a big amount, which we might not realize right now. So I would hate for him to go down. I completely agree. I think, I mean, I, I just, I feel like, the drop off from yeah our bench doesn't get significantly weaker if we lose yeah. Etzebeth, but I think if we lose any of the other three or other four that I mentioned, I think it I think it does. Um that's the only argument. I think the gap between Etzebeth and, and Klein or Snaman is a lot closer than Marks and Bongi and down to Dweller. Sure. No, I think it's a little bit harsh on Mark of Starden and, and Jasper Visa. Um I think they are more than capable replacements. I'm not saying they're on the same same level, 
Uh, and I, I'd make an argument for, for Marnie in the same spirit that I said Carter Gordon is important for Australia because the, there's a lot of Marnie in whatever goes right for the Springboks and there's a lot of Marnie in whatever goes wrong for Springboks. And if we if we lose a tight game, it's likely to be because Marnie didn't goal his kicks or he made a mistake here or there, we got flustered. So as, as much as he's not like our best player almost, influential player in a positive sense like he's a fulcrum around a lot of what might go right or wrong and i think that's that's still despite a really clinical performance against the all blacks five out of five kicks and general good play there's still question marks around him with very little international experience no backup in the squad uh and off uh well i don't want to say off form because we just haven't seen him play but a, an unknown quantity in Andre pollard waiting at list tigers so We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, it's it's difficult though with the Springbok squad because we do have incredible talent across the board. Now, I don't think it's been difficult, apart from maybe New Zealand, to pick key players for sides. But in the Springboks, they really are a squad and it's a squad mentality and squad performance. So, I also, yeah. You know, I also saw just a stat that it's, uh, South Africa have the highest average age, which I don't think is a bad thing at all because it's still, you know, about 30 or so. But uh, it just also shows the experience, but also like how well-rounded the squad is. I think, you know, we don't have any, uh, well, we have Ken and Moody. He's the only like noticeable youngster and he's, yeah, um, like an exception in the squad. So I, and I, it, it would be remiss of me not to point out Billy LaRue's influence and losing yeah. him would be, uh, a big blow, especially in terms of the creativity, you know, we spoke about in the New Zealand game, how that sort of clinicalness doesn't go out the window, but it, it definitely drops a bit when he's not there. And as well as Willem did at fullback, he's he's not quite the same creative player that Billy is. I, I watched that game again this weekend, and I reckon if Billy's on the pitch, we're scoring three tries in those first 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Because okay. we were held up over the line, I think, what, four times? In those first 20 minutes, uh, or held over the line, or the ball, which was this kick was just too far, or we tackled out or something. I think Vili just makes slightly better options than what were taken there at the time. And, and those, those half chances that we had turned into actual tries. Yeah, I don't think that's an outrageous call at all. Uh, I think, I think Vili is, is very key on attack. I mean, Willem said, obviously, man, a match, great game, but I don't think he brings, he doesn't convert pressure into points in the way that Billy does. Yeah, 100% on board with that. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if we do beat Scotland and then we beat Tonga and Romania, are, are they going to line up a, a first team against Ireland in a game that they won't necessarily have to win to go through? And you're playing New Zealand or France. Like Either of them is a really tough game. But, and you'll know, you'll know which of them you're playing. Because that was last this weekend already. I mean, who would you rather play? I, I, I think you have to just go full strength. I think there's a two-week gap after that anyway. Um, I think momentum yeah. and just wanting to lay down a marker are more important. Like France, New Zealand are both good teams. You, I don't think you can you know, tempt fate that much and be like, actually, we'd prefer to play the team who might finish top and then you know, what are we going to do not to play a strong team against Ireland? It doesn't feel right. I think it's got to be I think momentum is so important. Like, you go you go full strength, you win that game, you crush Ireland if you can. 
I'm not saying we should, but I'm saying that needs to be the mindset that you go in and you you stamp your authority on on the Irish and on the tournament. And um, you know, whether you need to or not is not the point. The point is like you win. Um it's a fair point. They might be tempted, yeah. I mean, for to Andrew's point, they might be tempted to, you know, wrap some players in cotton wool. So well that, that yeah, I don't to... see us. I see like at worst case we'll go, you know, a second choice spring or like string like we did against the All Blacks, you know. Like slightly weaker team, but I mean it's the difference is marginal. Yeah. You know, as you said, they might wrap cotton wool one or two players or like rather give Lebok the exp- I mean, you know, Moody the experience of thirteen or something just because they can. Um, but again, that's hardly a drop off. Yeah, and and they've got you know, the games against Romania and Tonga to rotate the rest of the squad, and so you may as well play your full strength against those key sides. And as Phil says, there's a two week gap between that last pool game and a quarter final. That's enough time to rest some sore bodies and still get some good training in. So I, I think I've been convinced full strength, full strength against Scotland and Ireland, and maybe rotating in between. Yeah, but speaking of Ireland, we all kind of agree that we think they'll come second in the pool. Who's their most key influential player? Is it Sexton still, um, or has other players emerged that are more important to their success at this World Cup? Out as a getting out the pool and be long term, you know, making it deeper than the quarterfinals. Um, I think it it is still Sexton. There is just that massive drop, even though he hasn't played for a while now and they've still been fine. You know, someone like Rusburn or even Crowley when he's played, they've they've been better than we've seen like Carberry in the past as, as the backup, for example. Um, but Sexton's like, love him or hate him, he's like their leader. They all love him. They love him. We might not love him and he might be irritating to us, but, you know, he's the guy they get behind, the guy they're going to fight for they're going to die for i think he makes that much of a difference and it's a completely different you know team that they'll be playing without him if he's not there and they're still good but they don't have that same uh sort of fight quality maybe that's a bit harsh on island without sexton but that's how it feels to me at least yeah i tend to agree yeah, with that. i think that's fair and I think, be... you know, there's a lot of very key good forwards, but I think it's hard to say which of them is more key than the other. Like, you know, a Van mm. Fleur or a Tigburn, um, you know, they all kind of, James Ryan, they're all really good, but they're all really kind of equally good. Like, yeah. you know, you, I don't know if I'd say any of them is more key particularly than anyone else. Sure. Yeah, I think maybe... Whereas the Sexton, other... I think, is quite clearly yeah. key. I agree, I agree. For the Irish at hooker, I feel like uh, Dan Sheehan is head and shoulders above either Herring or Kelleher. So they'll really be hoping he gets over his niggle because I think Herring played in the last game in his absence. Uh, he's not a terrible player, but you know, like Marx, it's a drop-off to Bombi or Dweba, specifically Dweba. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the Irish do have other influential players. I mean, they've got a great sense of pairing in Aki and Ringrose or Henshaw and Ringrose, depending which way they go. We've got Mac Hansen on the wing, who's been an absolute revelation. James Lowe, Hugo Keenan, solid as anything. So they have great players. Uh, so they, they all just need to fire. Just don't quite see them at a World Cup getting up against the Springboks at a neutral lead. I don't know. It, it's probably just the green and gold glasses. It, it, yeah, it and be. I think... Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, it could be the green and gold glasses because I think it's from a neutral perspective, it's very close. But I think also our arguments are valid. Uh, I agree with Sheehan as he gives them a bit more spark, I think, like in terms of even just like try scoring and something which you have to watch against. So I think they have a really, really good team, but I... I think on our day, our forwards are stronger than theirs, and that's the main difference if I had to put it down to like one reason. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Ant's still with us, but <laughs> I 100% agree with no, you. No, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing, yes. Okay. I, cool. think, I think that's uh, why I'm backing them, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um. Cool. So let's quickly run through. We've got New Zealand, France, and Pool A. Sorry, Phil, we're outranking you. Um, South Africa, Ireland. So that means France play Ireland. Sorry. New Zealand play Ireland, South Africa play France. Who's winning those quarterfinals? It's it's so rough on these teams that two of those sides are going to go out in a quarter, isn't it? Like, it's just... Yes. And, and I think, as you, as you said... Any of those teams going out in a corner, quarter, it counts as a failure. Definitely. But if they've lost to any of those teams in the semifinals, suddenly it's a perfectly valid result. It's just Definitely. so unfair that like half the teams are going to be labeled failures simply because they got drawn in a stupid draw, draw, you know? Yeah. So so my, my call would be South Africa and France to make it, but obviously I've been overruled, so that's impossible now. <laughs> so I'm still backing <laughs> South, South Africa in the quarterfinal, and that means New Zealand, Ireland, Ireland don't make it past quarterfinal, so definitely South Africa, New Zealand. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think we'll beat France in France, and I think oh, you know, New Zealand will, will get revenge over Ireland for, for you know, the last couple of years. So that's that's... The calls on the other side of the pool, um, we're saying Fiji and Australia topped their pool. And are we saying Argentina and <laughs> I think you've been overruled here, Ant, as, as much as you've tried to persuade us. I think let, let's go. It, it, it makes it makes it more fun to say Fiji are going to beat England in a quarterfinal. Okay, cool. Somewhere. So fine. Argentina, <laughs> Argentina. So you've got Australia playing Argentina. Who wins? Oh, again, it could go either way, but I think on the basis of form and, and just overall quality, Argentina. I mean, they won in Australia this year, so yeah, I'd say that. And then Fiji, I mean, they've just beaten England, so they'll beat England again. Um, I think either way, if Fiji top their pool, they should beat England or Samoa because they've eaten both of them already this year. Yeah. So we're saying that if Fiji top their pool, they're playing a quarterfinal. Semifinal. I mean, a semifinal. Semifinal. Okay. Again, again you're so putting a lot of pressure on them. <laughs> semi, so, so that means your semifinal South Africa, Fiji, and New Zealand, Argentina. Wow. Which is very exciting. I mean, that so that's a dream yeah. semifinal setting for me. The, yeah, the, World Cup, the World Cup's coming back to the Southern Hemisphere. It doesn't matter. If it, 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 I think it's coming to the Springboks, but it's coming back to the Southern Hemisphere regardless. I, I, I think... Uh, you still think France? <laughs> France. I, I, well, my prediction is the South Africa-France final, so who am I to argue with you guys? <laughs> well, we'll know, look, we'll know this weekend if, if France need to win for that to happen because the Springboks yeah. are going to top their pool. 
Um, so we'll know how, how right it is. Is that a second side beer bet? Yeah, so we have France, New Zealand, and England, Argentina this weekend. Wow. So England, Argentina is you versus me. Are you taking on France, New Zealand against both of Andrew and I? I'm going for I told you so Ireland. Okay, so, so Phil might be downing three beers on the pod next weekend. <laughs> um, we're just locking that in there. Um, I oh, might oh, be we... doing two and Andrew at max of one. Um, <laughs> but I think Phil's doing three, unfortunately. Um, okay. Cool. But okay, so we're saying South Africa beats Fiji in the semi-final. New Zealand, do they beat Argentina? I think that's that's fair to say. So South Africa, New Zealand final. Yeah. And, and then? Yeah, obviously got a back box. Yeah. Cool. So South Africa to win again. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. Cool. Well, I think that 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 tops it up, man. I mean, that's yep. that's the World Cup done and dusted. You guys don't need to bother to watch anymore. We've already told you how it's all going to pan out. Um, so yeah, we'll see you in four years' time for another episode. <laughs> Is that um, no? I I think I think we can finish off and just just share the exuberance and excitement that's been building so much. I mean, I'm just absolutely pumped. I've deliberately took a rest weekend this last weekend, knowing that the next two months are going to be going to be big. Um, there's so much rugby to watch. There's going to be so much just fierce and excitement and socializing. Like, I think that's probably still been my lasting excitement from the last World Cup and potentially the Lions Tour is just how much the rugby does just get everyone together and to watch it, you know, like every pub is filled out. People that I know for a fact don't care about rugby and flighters have bought rugby jerseys um, because they know they're going to be at a bra every single Sunday. Um, I think businesses are really aware that productivity is going to be, you know, significantly down because for the first at least half of every Monday for the next couple of weeks, because um, we're also playing every Sunday night, they, they're just not going to have a workforce. So, I think the excitement's here. It's time for the games to kick off and, you know, for the Springboks to march on to victory. I don't know if you guys got any more comments to add onto that, but it's it's an exciting time. Well, of course, Phil's going to be there. So he's going to be bringing us uh, content from France. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, so I am leaving next week. So depending on when we do our next pod, um, I might be over there and we'll make a plan. So well, super exciting. That's going to be very expensive to down three French beers. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see we'll see but uh yeah that, uh, it, so it sounds like a plan and all the games are at good times so obviously the french time zone is the same as south africa so don't have to you know like japan watch any at work or sneak away at work or anything so it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm a little bit disappointed about that to be fair but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just can't wait to bring all of you listeners more episodes than Star Wars while the Rocky World Cup's on. So. 